You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science DC Comics Podcast. I am Jim, and I'm going to sneak something in on our feed this midweek. I'm going to end up putting up something I just started on our Patreon, give everybody a little bit of a look-see of what we do over on our Patreon. I think the bang is in the buck. Is that what they say? The, the idea that if you listen to a podcast that we end up doing, maybe get an idea of some of the things that we do, Maybe you'll be inspired to at least check it out, maybe even sign up. But what I ended up starting this past week was a another reading club. I like to do reading clubs. I like to do read-throughs where you just start at issue number one and go through an entire series, some of these series longer than others. But one of the ones, and the one you'll listen to right now, is Gotham Central. I ended up deciding that I would do a Gotham Central reading club. It's about 40 issues, I believe the whole series was, so it's manageable, but it's something because recently there was an announcement that in October there will be a Renee Montoya GCPD book, and people were fighting if this was the spiritual successor of Gotham Central, if it was nonsense, everybody was fighting about it. But in the meantime, I decided why not go back to a book that is pretty beloved, even though when it came out, it did have problems with the sales. Not a lot of people were buying it. It is something Greg Rucka, Ed Brubaker, some really big, big writers, some of my favorites. So I dove in, really liked the first issue, which you'll hear in just a moment. But before we go to that, please, if you like this, go and check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science, where we have a bunch of reading clubs like this. And we have DC comic reading clubs. We have Marvel. We have even other things. We have a Spawn reading club, a Walking Dead comic book reading club, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reading club, a Marvel Ultimate Universe reading club, an Injustice. It just goes on and on. We have a ton of them, as well as our other shows like our Weekly Spotlight and All of that all mixed up. And yeah, check it out. All you can do or all I can ask you to do is just check it out. Maybe sign up at a level that is right for you and start listening to a ton of podcasts because we do put out a ton of things. I didn't even mention a lot of manga as well. So if you're a full comic book reader, manga, all that, I know that you'll find something that you will like over there. And Just as an added bonus, it's the beginning of August, and we don't have some of the Patreons end up charging you right when you go in there. You sign up, you get charged right away, and I don't like doing that because you may not like what there is, and I'd rather everybody listen first, decide if they want to stay, and then if you end up deciding to go into September, then you will be charged for the first time then. If you quit before then, free trial. No fuss, no muss. You get to listen to a couple things, maybe make fun of me. All of that said and done, we're going to go off to this Gotham Central episode, the first episode. This is a reading club that I'm going to be doing as of now by myself. A lot of the reading clubs I end up doing with people from the Get Fresh crew, a lot of different hosts and whatnot. But this one is a little solo, solo like Jenny, if you know what I'm saying. If you're a blink, you do. If not, you have no idea. But enough of that. Let's go off to listen to 
Gotham Central number one, the first episode of the Gotham Central Reading Club. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new Reading Club podcast. This is going to be Gotham Central. It's something that a bunch of people asked me to read and maybe cover, one of them being Ruben, who said that if I did, I should read ahead before starting, which I did, which actually delayed the start of this a little bit. I won't spoil things, or I'll try not to spoil too many things as we go, but I will tell you that I really do enjoy Gotham Central. I've had fun reading through it, and I'm hopefully going to have fun talking about it with everybody. But before we get into the first issue, let's give a little information about what this is all about. Gotham Central is a police procedural comic book series that was published by DC Comics. It was written by Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka with pencils initially by Michael Lark. Story focused on the Gotham City Police Department and the difficulties of its officers living and working in Gotham City, home of Batman. And Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker collaborated on the Officer Down Batman crossover and then decided that they might want to do a procedural police story in Gotham City and finally obtain approval from D.C. executives. And they wanted Michael Lark on pencils and to get him. They actually had to wait a full year because he was actually busy. But while that year went on, Brubaker and Rucka worked on storylines. They plotted out the new series elements and decided to script the first story arc together, then split the cast because there's a lot of characters in this book. But it's a cool way. And it almost feels like what Rucka ended up doing. Not quite, but Rucka ended up doing that Wonder Woman deal at the beginning of Rebirth where he had the present And then he also had that year one stuff going in this. You end up having Rucka is writing the GCPD's day shift storylines and Brubaker writing the night shift with Lark penciling them both for at least as long as Lark and Brubaker end up on the series. Later on, they will leave and Rucka will continue for a little bit. But he said it just didn't feel right without Lark and Brubaker. So then he ended it, and there wasn't great sales for this. Sales were never really good for it. It got a lot of awards, nominations, and whatnot, but sales were never good. But Rucka does say, and he claims that it wasn't canceled because of sales. It was just canceled because he had finished. He said that he was done with it, especially since Brubaker and Lark were no longer involved. But we're going to head off now to the first issue, and again. It's one of those books that does have kind of a slow burn. But when Ruben told me that I should read ahead because I may not like it at first, he was completely wrong. I really liked it right from the get-go. I think it really hits this kind of vibe that we don't normally get in books. And being somebody who may not be a big fan of police procedural TV shows, Tanya, my wife, is. And I have watched a ton of them because of her just watching him in the room. And it may not be that I know every bit of whatever, but I do. And this ends up really feeling like that and really feeling like they should have made a TV show based on it. I know that there's been times where they say, well, this kind of is, or that might be, but really to get down and dirty with this, it really would have been a pretty cool deal. But we'll go off to issue one right now. And Gotham Central number one is an issue that came out December 4th, 2002. Co-written, as I said, by Greg Ruck and Ed Brubaker. Pencils and inks by Michael Lark. Colors by Noelle Giddings and Digital Chameleon. Letters by Sweet Willie Schubert. It is part one of a two-parter in the line of duty, part one. 
And there's going to be a lot of characters that we're going to get thrown at us. Initially, you're going to kind of focus on a couple, but there will still be a bunch in this issue. But what we do start out with are two partners from the GCPD. They work the night shift, and it is Detective Charlie Fields and Detective Marcus Driver. Now, their shift is ending at 6 a.m., They can go back to the precinct. They can end up doing a little bit of paperwork probably and then going home. And you see that Charlie, he would love to go home. But Marcus has gotten this lead at the last second. They're working a case on a kidnapped missing girl. And some junkie has given them a lead that they don't think is really going to amount to much. But they're going to check it anyway. And it seems that Marcus is pushing to check it. Charlie just wants to go home. He talks about his wife, and you would guess the idea that his wife ends up working a day shift. They have that little crossover. They only have a little bit of time together. He'd like to go home and at least get some rest with his wife. But he's going to go with his partner. His partner's going up. He makes the joke of, yeah, I don't want you to take all the credit. I could just end up seeing the headline, Detective Marcus Driver solves the case on his own because his partner's asleep in the car. Stuff like that. But it's very nice. You can tell that they are friends. You also have a cool cinematic way of doing this as the lead seems to take them to a motel room or a motel to go to a room. And they end up getting out of their car. They're going through the lobby. They're going up the stairs. Then they're in the hallway. Very much a cinematic deal, almost like a Pulp Fiction type of play as they get to this door. They don't seem to be that concerned with what's going to happen here. They don't seem to be very nervous, jerky about this. They really think that this is going to be something that won't lead to anything. And they'll just go back to the GCPD and go home and, you know, another day, another dollar, whatnot. So they knock on the door. They declare it's the GCPD. Open up. You end up having this pale guy open up the the door, kind of crack. Hey, do you have a warrant? And you end up having them say, if we had a warrant, we wouldn't be asking you to come in. We wouldn't have been knocking on the door to open up. And from behind this guy inside the room, somebody says, just open the door, Danny. And that's when you end up having Fields and Driver bust in and then go, oh, shit, because Mr. Freeze is there. And he already has his freeze gun already trained on them, and it's classic-looking Mr. Freeze and the cool costume and whatnot. And Mr. Freeze blasts, and you have Fields, Detective Fields, push his partner driver outside of the room again, says, run, go, get out of here, and pushes driver. As he's being pushed out into the hall, Freeze is able to shoot the hands of driver. So he has his gun, but the hands now are frozen, almost like ice cuffs on there so he's not going to be able to use the gun and then in very tight in panels you end up seeing charlie blam 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 in his gun and also freeze then blowing you know the freeze gun shooting the freeze gun at charlie so you don't really know at that point who ended up winning the standoff whatnot you have driver outside his hand still frozen yells charlie charlie are you okay And then Mr. Freeze is seen and he has the frozen fields, Charlie Fields, and says, no, I'm sorry, Charlie will not be using that okay word any longer. He's dead. He's completely frozen to death. So with that little standoff, Freeze won. But Freeze 
wants to know, how did you find me? He asks that to Driver. And as he does that, he does shoot Driver and actually kind of freezes his shoulder and suit to the wall so he can't move. And But he says, how did you find me? Driver says, you know, go to hell, you effing psycho. And so with that, Freeze says, you know, I've always found the Gotham police to be an incredibly uneducated lot. Let me give you a lesson here. And ends up ripping off the ear of his partner, Charlie, and throwing it at him, the frozen ear there, and then says, shall I continue or do you want to answer my question? So it's basically, I'm going to rip your partner apart here right in front of you, even though he seems to be dead. But you want to answer my question? Answer it. How did you find me? And you end up having Detective Driver say, we weren't after you. Breeze seems surprised. Says, what did you just say? And Driver says, true, we had a tip. We're looking for kidnappers, thinking we'd walk into a room with you. You really think that's the case? If we thought we were going to face Mr. Freeze, we would have had backup. They would have been here now. We weren't looking for you. We had this weird tip. And yeah, he ends up saying Freeze, like, well, I guess you have some bad luck then. I I, I guess that Gotham ends up teaching people that bad luck will catch up to you eventually. Now, this other guy that was with Freeze that answers the door says, hey, uh, Freeze, we got to get going. The shots fired. People are going to get and call in the police. The police are going to be swarming in here. And you end up having Free say, Danny, wait a minute, wait a minute. So we know this guy's name's Danny. But then he says, like, like leering over Detective Driver, I just want to instruct our friend here in Gotham's more advanced curriculum, the tragedy of surviving loss as a preview for things to come. And so that ends that scene. Really good start. A cold open, if you will, if I can make some jokes. It's a really good start, but the big play here is going to continue being the mystery of why was Freeze there? Why did he end up shooting them? Why didn't he just run? All those things will be what this case is going to eventually get to be. But before we can get the case, we end up having to have to go back to the GCPD itself and end up seeing little crossover of shifts you end up having the night shift is going home the day shift is showing up and you get some cool things here and it's very natural it plays out very naturally as these shifts are crossing over you get a little jokes a little tension maybe but you also get a couple characters that we will end up seeing later and they're mentioned by name but not very quickly just conversationally but you see one guy he's got the corn cob pipe he's smoking And you have uh, a guy with Yamaka come in. And even if you don't remember the names or whatnot, you will remember those little things there that stick out. You also see a girl named Stacy who has a Shazam half shirt and purple pink hair. Yeah, she isn't actually part of the GCPD. She works for them as a civilian administrator. So she's allowed to do things. And why I bring this up especially is she ends up having a really cool job that we'll end up talking about later. I won't spoil it yet. But in this crossover of shifts, you also end up having Renee Montoya come in with her partner, Chris Allen. And also you end up having the first shift commander talking with the second shift commander, the night shift commander, about, hey, what's going on? Anything I should know about? You know, that sort of thing that they would do. Now, the first shift commander is Captain Maggie Sawyer, which most of the people listening probably know the name at least. The second shift is Lieutenant Rob Ron Propson. 
And I like this, and you may not have heard of him, but I like this because you end up where you have that little playful banner as the shifts cross over and things like that. But here you see there is legit tension between the night shift and the day shift, and there will be. There probably always is in police precincts like this, especially when there's cases about nobody wants somebody else to solve their case. Oh, the night shift gets better cases than the day, that sort of thing. But it goes a little deeper here. Because as we get the progression of the scene and the dialogue, you see that old Captain Maggie Sawyer knows that Lieutenant Rob Probson is very jealous that she was promoted, promoted to captain, promoted to first shift commander, all that. And she calls him out on it. You can tell that Probson is, you know, one of those old school cops. He starts getting mad. They start yelling at each other. And even when you have Maggie say, hey, Anything I should know, what's going on? No, no, everything's cool. We're just waiting for Fields and Driver to come back. They were checking on a tip on that missing girl case. And Maggie, oh, you want us to help out? You want us to help out with some things, whatever? Stay away from our case. Like, that's the kind of deal that you would have. But while they're talking, arguing, yelling, tension, you know, staring, you end up having Stacy come running in and says, this just came in, officer down. It's driver and field. So that is where we push off then for them to go and find Marcus driver still frozen to the wall. The ground, his hands are frozen to his gun. But you see just the horrific scene of old Charlie Fields, who at this point, remember when you ended up having freeze, he pulled off an ear and threw it, whatnot, and says, you want me to continue? I don't know. He might have continued because charlie is in pieces he is all over the place but it might be something as he falls out i don't know but he certainly looks like somebody gave him the karate chop or the kick he's in pieces you have the forensic guys already taking pictures and you see just what a horrific scene this is also you have to imagine how bad it was because driver is right there and he's frozen can't move connected to the wall on the floor and all he is seeing is his partner in pieces right there frozen in front of him this had to have taken something out of him here. This was a bit of a timing between these. So he's been sitting there just staring at it the whole time. And so when you end up having that, he they finally get him off the wall. They're going to go and give him some sort of medical attention. What ends up being his hands frozen. They're just going to put heat pads on it. But you end up as the EMTs are taking driver down the stairs of this motel. You see Lieutenant Probson is coming up and says, driver, there you are. Where's Charlie? What the holy hell is going on? And then ends up seeing driver's hands and goes, oh my God, your hands, what happened to your hands? And driver just looks up and he looks stunned and shock and says, Charlie's dead, Lieutenant. And Probson's like, oh, Charlie, damn it. And then, you know, he kind of gets his composure because, you know, he, he's not somebody who probably wants to look like he's upset at all, especially in front of detective driver and these emts so he ends up taking it out on the emts what are you guys doing standing around get this guy out there get him treatment and then goes up into the room and you even had the emts like hey sorry about that and driver no no i'm sorry and they go out to help him well while that's going on you end up having captain maggie sawyer show up at the scene also renee montoya and her partner chris allen they get out of the car and it is a cool play here because what happens is right away, Detective Allen says, hey there, Captain, you always give me the juicy ones. So you would guess that that, you know, a good play to show that 
Alan usually gets the lead on the cases. And Maggie then stops and says, oh, no, no, you're my favorite. All right. But this one isn't for you. This one's for Montoya. So Renee is going to be the head of this case, the lead of this case. And it's not like you end up having Alan getting upset or anything. It might be a little bit of a shock, but it's, you know, Montoya getting her chance here. And Maggie says, you know, with that, you have both shifts, both they're everybody at your disposal. Just get this done, figure out what happened, whatnot. And you end up having Renee go right over to Marcus. Marcus is over there in the ambulance. They're already got the heating pads on his hands, trying to thaw out his hands. And she says, hey, Marcus, I'm sorry. And he just looks up and goes, yeah, it was freeze. And she says, yeah, I heard. And they kind of just stare at each other for a little. Marcus isn't saying anything else. She says, okay, I'm going to go up. I'll meet you back at the precinct where we can get your statement and things like that for them to, you know, figure out what's going on. He says, sure. He doesn't even look up. He's very sad. And like I said, he's probably still in shock. And so you end up where Montoya and Alan go up to see this crime scene. And it does shock them when they go in there and see Charlie Fields in pieces. But they get right to it. Montoya, it takes her about a panel or two. She's kind of in shock, but she's the lead here. She has to go and do this. So she starts then, boom, right into it after that little bit of shock, but says, okay, Fields and Driver, they came in standard entry, right? They didn't call for backup. They got this tip. They weren't expecting Freeze or any sort of big trouble. But why didn't Freeze run? Why did Freeze wait for them to open the door and shoot them? Why didn't he get out of here? And you end up even saying, she says, there is a door a window, all these things. He could have escaped. Why did that happen? And you end up having Alan says he wants to know how they found him. And that's kind of what they might have heard. It's weird that he says that. But yeah, that's kind of what Free said. But Renee says, no, he wouldn't care about that. Come on. He doesn't care about that stuff. And the big play then is, why did he leave Marcus alive? Why did he just shoot Charlie? Why would you leave Marcus alive? Now, people are going to have their theories or whatnot, but before we get into that, we then switch over. We swipe over to the precinct again, the GCPD, and you end up having maybe a little bit of a time jump because there's Detective Driver. He His hands are thawed out, but they're in wraps like the mummy. But he's changing. It seems like he's going to be allowed to go home now. And in walks the Sarge, Sergeant Jackson Davies. I told you, there's a lot of characters that just kind of get thrown at you. But you learn about them through the conversations and how they act, which I really do appreciate. And you end up having drivers say, hey, Sarge, they called you in too. Sarge's like, yeah, you know, everybody got called in. Nobody's going to sleep today. You want to tell me what went down? And drivers says, well, you know, not much. We, we opened the wrong door. We went to the wrong door. It was freeze. And Sarge goes, yeah, I know what that means. I know how that happens. But the big play is that Sarge seems to have liked, and everybody seems to have liked Charlie. So you end up, Sarge is like, yeah, it's funny, you know. And Driver kind of, funny, what's funny? And it's one of those, some people deal with this sort of thing with jokes. Or also, let's think about the funny times that when Charlie said this or whatnot, and it is this kind of play here. Where Sarge says, when Charlie first came over to the MCU, he thought it'd be a real big joke to put the bat on the board, the case board, like he was part of the squad. 
And he says he was trying to shame us all by showing how much higher that freak's clearance rates were than ours. And he says, we left it up there then. It was kind of like the deal. We left it up there. But whenever somebody like the Joker, Two-Face, or one of these freaks, I mean, these are the rogues gallery. Anytime they would murder somebody, do something like that, we would end up putting that Vic's name under the bet like it was his case now. And this is kind of, you know, is it funny? I don't know. But he's talking about this, and it's it's hitting Marcus a little different. But he says, then the probe, which is Probeson, Lieutenant Probeson, he came over to the second shift and made us erase it, said it was demoralizing to the squad. And Charlie, you know what he says? He said, well, that's the point, Lieutenant. And he's kind of like laughing about it. And he says he wanted that constant reminder that if we didn't do our job, someone else would. Charlie was funny that way. And he leaves. This little story, which seems to be something where Sarge is just trying to lighten the mood a little. And hey, remember, Charlie was a little weird with certain things. He was funny guy. What not? And Marcus takes a little personally. And he now is kind of not on a vendetta, but he is at a, a frame of mind that he doesn't want something to happen. And he goes to Commissioner Michael Aikens. So he goes into Commissioner Aikens' uh, office. Aikens is on the phone with the mayor, says, I'll have to call you back. Obviously, this is an officer that had a bunch of trouble here, so they're going to be real nice to him anyway. But he says, hey, I'm really sorry about that, detective. You know, I, I'm really sorry what happened to Charlie. You know, you have my condolences, things like that. And Marcus says, yeah, you know, it, it would have been better if he was a piece of shit. If he is a piece of shit, I wouldn't really care as much that he saved my life. And a really good line by Commissioner Aikens, he goes, no, you'd feel bad just the same. It wouldn't make any difference if the guy was good or bad or whatnot. Unfortunately for everybody, Charlie seemed to be a really good guy. But he ends up saying, uh, yeah, what do you need? What do you want? And Driver says, I just want you to not put the signal on today. Please don't turn on the bat signal. And this is kind of, and you end up having Commissioner Aikens act kind of like the reader, like, what? Well, what is he talking about? Well, why is that all about? But to go with that conversation of what the Sarge said, it, you end up having Commissioner Aikens say, excuse me? And this is where you end up having Marcus say, we have to bring down this freak on our own. He took Charlie and made him into ice cubes, Commissioner, and we need to take him down without help for Charlie's sake, if not for ours. We have to do this. We can't rely on Batman, please. And you end up having the Commissioner kind of, yeah, you know, I can't tell Batman what to do or not to do. He's probably going to get involved anyway, even if we don't turn on the signal. You know, I can't tell him to not do anything. And Marcus gets mad and says, I, I know that, but please just don't put the signal on. If he does whatever he does, that's on him, whatnot. But please don't turn the signal on today, please. And he just keeps saying it and keeps going with it and says, you know, there's a room full of cops out there knowing if they don't get this guy by dark, then it's going to be the Batman. Just don't put it. It's not fair. It's not fair that he comes in and he's able to take down a guy that took down my partner. It's And it really gives you, for the first time in this story, we're only, you know, an issue in or whatnot, but it really does give you more than anything that I've really read. That phrase there about it's not fair that at night he's going to come out and solve this case or he's going to go and he he doesn't have the anger that we have. He doesn't have what we need to do to take down 
you know, freeze. We have the the vengeance that we want, you know, whatever it would be. But it's the idea of, man, that really does spell out that the GCPD aren't jokes. Batman does kind of come in at points and puts his nose into things he shouldn't. And this is something very personal. That's what I'm trying to say. Marcus is saying this is personal. It's one of our guys that went down. Batman has no right to be involved. He doesn't know what this is all about. He'll be going after Freeze just because he's Freeze. We're going after him because it was Charlie. So please don't put the signal on. And yeah, you end up having the commissioner. All right, you know, we won't do it for now. I'll, I'll let you go with this. But again, I hope you're okay. Well, while that's going on, you end up having Stacy come in and say, hey, Detective Driver, we need you here. You need to talk with Alan and Montoya. You need to do your statement and whatnot. And he ends up going. And you end up having the commissioner say, well, we'll continue this conversation later, Detective. Go do your job now and let me worry about the rest. And he says, yes, sir. Thank you. So Montoya and Alan get Driver, take him over to the room to get some statements and whatnot. And you end up having Marcus say, Okay, when we're done here, I have to meet Nora at the morgue. And that seems to be like, oh, my God, Nora, Mr. Freeze. But that's just Charlie's wife, his widow now. And you end up having Marcus is going to go meet her at the morgue. And so when you get these questions and whatnot, Montoya says, we'll make this quick. I kind of know the basics of what went on. But I need to ask you, do you think you were set up? Do you think that your informant gave you bad info? Was this a setup? was this sort of thing, and you end up having drivers say, I don't think so. It was just a junkie, wanted a few bucks, gave us a room number. We went to check it out, thinking maybe there was the connection. Charlie wanted to go home. But then Montoya says, why did he leave you alive? Why would Mr. Freeze leave you alive? He had to know that we would pull all the stops to find him, including the bat. That is at that point when Alan says that. And you do have Marcus say, can we leave the bat out of this? This is something, again, that you are. And they even say, do you think he's trying to get Batman's attention? Marcus says, let's leave the bat out of this. And, yeah, they understand. They're like, okay, what not? But you end up having Marcus trying to figure it out. And he says, I don't know why. He's crazy, Renee. You've read the file. Freeze wants people to hurt, not physically, emotionally. And take two cops, kill a partner, instant grief. But... They end up with Montoya doesn't think that that really fits. Mr. Freeze isn't like that. He's smarter than he is crazy. He doesn't just do this sort of thing. So Montoya says he's got to be sending some kind of message if he left you alive, trying to let us know he's smarter than us. But as this is going on, you end up having the Sarge come in. Hey, we got a call, another call. You're going to have to take this. And even then, they're like, Sarge, we're in the middle of this. We're in the middle of something here. But he's like, no, 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 Montoya, you got to take this. She's the lead on the case. Something else has gone down. She gets on the phone, and it is a another officer out in the streets and ends up calling that somebody else has been frozen. You end up seeing him, and he even says, like, I'm here. There's this guy frozen in the truck, and I'm getting the hell out of here because if Mr. Freeze comes back, I don't want to die. And he says, this guy's frozen from inside out. And when you do see him, he looks very similar to this Danny who earlier had opened that door when you ended up having Fields and Driver going there. So Montoya gets the word. This kind of interrupts the whole statement giving of Detective Driver because, yeah, we then see it at the end. And, boy, it looks horrific. 
there is just a guy who's frozen and there's ice coming out of his mouth. When we get to the next chapter, the big play is that Mr. Freeze just put that gun in his mouth and shot full blast. But we'll get to that in the next chapter. But it's really good. I like this guy. And he looks like kind of like Joe Pesci. He's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. And he runs off. But that is the end of the first issue. It's kind of a hard thing to talk about at points because of all the characters and all the things going on. But it's really, really good. And please. Please read it. If you're listening to this, you've either have probably already read it, but even read it again and let me know what you think, because I think it's really, really good. Even that beginning with Driver pretty much saying, let's not turn on the signal. Let's not get the bat involved. It really does separate it even more from Batman and this, which I think is a good play. And one of the things that is intriguing about this of what are these normal cops? What do they do? in a city that has Batman as a vigilante who does end up taking down a lot of the crime. And it's one of those two, even reading now, because you don't really get a ton of the GCPD. Yeah, they're mentioned or they're not. And a lot of times they're a joke. So it's cool to see this. We're going to end up having a series with Renee Montoya and the GCPD coming up in October by John Ridley. That's kind of the reason why I wanted to finally kick this in. I've been trying to get ahead and trying to, you know, get ready to do this. And I figured we'll do it now. We'll get it going. And then maybe, hopefully, that series that John Ridley's doing, that miniseries will be pretty cool as well. I don't know. I don't think it'll be as good as this because not many are. So with all of that, I hope Ruben's happy that I really did enjoy this. I really thought that this was a great way to kick off this series. It's kind of, Unfortunately, it didn't sell very well back in the day, but here we are. We get to go through it still. You still get 40 issues out and about, and you can end up reading them all, which we will. We'll go through them. But I hope everybody enjoys this, this beginning. I hope it wasn't as scattered as I think it might be, only because, again, there's so many characters kind of trying to get my feet kind of settled in this, kind of get my balance. So with that all, we'll be back in a couple weeks and go through the second part of this two-parter, see what Mr. Freeze is up to, see, you know, why, how, and all that stuff going down. But thanks, everybody. Thanks for your support, as always. And I will talk to you then. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.